0: I think that's what frustrated uh, the public, and I believe it's an important lesson for administration to have learned. I have assurances that in future, when significant decisions are made, that the public will be informed in a way that makes sense to them.
1: All right. Good afternoon, friends. Welcome aboard. Rob Breckenridge with you. This is Afternoons on QR Calgary. Look, we'll, we'll have much more to get to on the Alberta election campaign as we head into the final weekend, just three days from Elections Day. But we got to get into this uh, off the top here because of what a weird 24 hours it's been. What a weird week it's been uh, with regard to the Canada Day fireworks. So that was Mayor Jody Gondek on this morning with uh, Sue and Andy here on QR Calgary and an odd comment from the mayor because she initially defended the administration's decision to cancel the Canada Day fireworks display. That was a decision that was announced just over a week ago. And in that ensuing week, there was uh, growing momentum, uh, you know, growing pressure on the city to reverse that decision. That, yes, of course, we should celebrate Canada Day. There's no reason why we should not have fireworks as part of that celebration. And just the frustration as well, I think, at some level, that it was the administration that made this decision as opposed to our elected politicians. Like, this is kind of a big issue. It's not just about the fireworks. It's kind of about the very nature of Canada Day and, and how we celebrate it. So anyway, that was the decision just over a week ago. Like I say, there was a growing amount of pushback in the ensuing days. Yesterday, a couple of things happened. Uh, We learned that 10 city councilors had come together to co-sponsor a notice of motion uh, that would have instructed administration to restore the fireworks show. Now, that would have been debated and voted on next week. But a few hours later, we get the announcement from the city. that administration had decided there would be fireworks after all. So, like I say, it's, it's been a weird and I think at some level kind of embarrassing saga, unfortunately. Anyway, joining us uh, for some thoughts on, on all of this uh, is one of the city councillors who had signed on to that uh, notice of motion, co-sponsored at Ward 13, City Councillor Dan McLean, on the line with us here today. Uh, Dan, good to have you with us here. Welcome back to the program. Thanks, Rob. I mean, I guess the silver lining in this whole uh, fiasco is that there will be fireworks after all. But, uh, man, what a, a weird way to get there.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have mixed emotions, Rob. I think uh, everybody knew at first when I found out at the same time, like you said, as everybody else, uh, that we weren't going to have our traditional Canada Day uh, fireworks. I was pretty upset. Uh, And then I was quite happy that they're being reinstated. And now I'm back at where I'm just a little choked in myths that we're even here in the first place.
1: Yeah. Well, and why was it done this way? I mean, I could understand maybe if administration had come to council with a recommendation, but why why were they the ones to make the decision in the first place?
2: Well, there's lots of debating on this now in hindsight, like I said, how that will be rectified. And we were told that there was uh, lots of consultation with lots of different groups uh, from the environmental, cultural aspects of this decision um, and so we've dug into that as well now, and we haven't been able to find any names. Uh, apparently, they haven't been recorded. Um, so I don't know if it was just a rust decision that was based on political reasons. Um, and again, I think the Canada Day, this is a day that brings us all together, that we can celebrate our country, and it should not be used to divide us. So uh, yeah, some yeah. answers. are uh, still looking for some answers.
1: Yeah, I would imagine so. What have you been hearing from Calgarians? You know, not just in the last twenty-four hours, and, and a lot happened yesterday. We can get into, but you know, just over the last week.
2: Well, for the last week, soon as again, I've done some social media posts at the very beginning, and of course, uh, hundreds of responses, and then in our inboxes at City Hall, myself again, hundreds other councillors as well, from people from again all different diverse cultural backgrounds and ethnic backgrounds as well that were just, again, astounded that why are we canceling this in, in, in the first place? Um, so I, obviously that was a huge reason uh, for us to reconsider administration uh, as well to, uh, to uh, reverse the decision.
1: What did you understand those reasons to be? I mean, there were some references to environmental impact or noise or traffic, but it largely seemed to be about almost like political issues or cultural sensitivity. What, what's your understanding of the rationale?
2: Well, I don't understand why Supreme Council suggested that Canada is racist and it's colonialist. You know, it's exactly the opposite. We celebrate, uh, again, we celebrate together with all cultures, all backgrounds, you know, the country that we've all built together. So, uh, yeah, there's some political considerations in there, which, uh, again, I completely disagree with. And, uh, again, it should, never should have happened.
1: So talk about this uh, notice of motion, which I, I guess now is kind of a moot point. But how did this all come together just over the last couple of days?
2: So we were told, and again, this missed me quite a bit, that this decision cannot be reversed. Myself, Councillor Sharp, Councillor Chabot, a few others questioned administration, and we were told point blank by the mayor and administration that this could not be reversed. Uh, so that was when we went to work on maybe crafting a notice of motion because at the end of the day, council were the bosses. We were elected to direct administration what to do. There's 15 votes. The majority is eight. We found 10... That, uh, to, uh, we're ready to sign on a motion directing administration to bring back the traditional uh, aerial fireworks display at, uh, our, again our, uh, on Canada Day. So that would trump no matter what administration would have to follow that direction. Uh, unless for some reason, of course, they couldn't source the fireworks or there wasn't any funding or the, you know, whatever myriad of reasons that could have came up why they couldn't. But as soon as that was published and made public... It wasn't like you had mentioned that in your open that within, uh, you know, not a short period of time, administration had came out and said, you know, I guess you could call it folded and said, we are going to go ahead. Uh, they, I think they realized they'd made a mistake. Mm -hmm. They realized there was a council was going to direct them. And, uh, uh, and again, it's just unfortunate that we're here in the first place. I think, uh, I'm just happy. I'm happy now that we're going forward, and I think so are are most of the Calgarians.
1: Yeah, I I would imagine so. That's certainly what we've been hearing over the last few days as well. Um, It it does seem odd, though, doesn't it, that you were told that this decision couldn't be reversed, and yet here it was yesterday afternoon. Lo and behold, the the decision's been reversed.
2: Surprise, surprise. Yeah, Yeah, some of my posts, I said, uh, you know, expressed my disappointment, and I'd be working hard to have them reinstated for twenty for the next year. Um, so um, yeah there 's going to be, have to be some uh, some more questions and some more answers, but again, I guess at the end of the day, we maybe should all just uh, uh look forward to uniting and celebrating and uh having a big fireworks display that the whole city can enjoy from all over the parts because i 'm in the deep south that 's where I represent, but you can see the downtown fireworks display from there, and some of the reasons again, I was quite perplexed that we were told you know, by some on uh, administration that this, uh you know, again, for cultural, environmental concerns, it couldn't happen. But then at the same time, we should be able to enjoy the fireworks at the Stampede or Global Fest. So are fireworks good or, or, or are they well, bad? Exactly. So there was a, a different dichotomy and uh, I'll see more on there.
1: Yeah, and we're still waiting for details, I guess, on where the fireworks are going to be. Some of that's still yet to be sorted out.
2: Yeah, so. Uh, well we've understood I I understand from the administration that they will still be most likely will be downtown, not close to the Indian Residential School Memorial or close to the, you know, Chinese cultural center. They I mean we still want to be sensitive to you know, there are some valid concerns uh from, you know, different groups. Um, But, again, what I found out, many from First Nations friends of mine, you know, some horror stories, one of my best friends, she told me she was confronted at her work in a grocery till by a a resident that was blaming her for the cancellation of fireworks. She called me in tears. and She said, I love fireworks, Dan. And the same with some other people from First Nations communities. And, you know, they're not happy that they were kind of put in that uh, situation. So... Um again, big mistake and unfortunate, uh, but maybe it's time to move forward.
1: Yeah, so does that mean then that the, the notice of motion doesn't need to come forward? Or, or what, what's going to happen next week at executive committee?
2: Well, so there's been some discussion here with my uh, uh, councilmates that I think we would still like to put forth this motion maybe make some amendments and maybe ask for some answers and maybe make some uh, some changes to it that maybe will be more re- uh, relevant as uh, our committee meeting comes or council meeting comes on Tuesday so that is still undetermined rob
1: well, we'll see what uh, what happens with that. But uh, as you say, takeaway here is that there will indeed be a Canada Day celebration here in Calgary, complete with a fireworks display. Dan McLean, thanks so much for making some time for us here this afternoon. Appreciate this.
2: You bet. interrupt.
1: All the best. There you go. Ward 13, City Councillor Dan McLean. Uh, his thoughts on this whole uh, debacle and uh, more specifically, you know, how these 10 councillors came together to say, no, they, like this can't stand. Of course, we can reverse this decision. And uh, lo and behold, that's indeed what happened. So, yes, what a mess this, this all turned into. And honestly, I think kind of an embarrassment uh, for the city of Calgary. And I mean, at the same time, too, even if you were inclined to agree with the decision to cancel the fireworks, that's not how this should be done. Like, make a recommendation then to city council and let the elected leaders make the decision. That's what they're there to do. So just the fact that this was a decision made behind closed doors or made by administration, I don't think any of us should be comfortable with that uh, on something like this. So that was unfortunate. And, and yeah, I do think that a lot of Calgarians feel that the decision itself was unfortunate. That, that why shouldn't there be a celebration? Why shouldn't there be fireworks? Why can't we uh, have Canada Day as a day to, to express our, our joy, our, our love for our country, uh, a celebration of who we are, what we, you know, this country represents? doesn't it isn't tantamount to a declaration that this country is perfect and without flaw Uh, but it's about celebrating the good and i think we try to tell people that we can't have that or you can't we can't do that that's just going to foster you know more divisiveness so yeah i think it's been a really unfortunate episode at least we can say common sense prevailed here but um yeah what a mess it was along the way Anyway, we'll get your thoughts on that here this afternoon, 403-974-8255, 974-TALK. Uh, like I say, we'll get to uh, um, the Alberta election. lot to get to on the campaign trail as we head into the final few days of this election. Uh, don't forget, we will be live Monday night, starting at 8 o'clock. What could be, or maybe should be, an interesting evening. Decision Alberta runs from 8 uh, o'clock, probably expecting until midnight. Uh, province-wide, on the radio, on television. I'll be a part of it, uh, but it's a big, big team uh, joining in the coverage on Monday night. So lock it in, 8 o'clock, right here on QR Calgary, on global television, right across the province. I'm going to be part of the team down at the UCP headquarters in Calgary. We'll have a team at the NDP headquarters in Edmonton and uh, reporters and correspondents right across the province. So it's going to be a big, big night Big day coming up Monday. But just to give a heads up about that, plenty more to get to on the campaign trail, though, today as we head into the final few days. Welcome back. Welcome to this hour of the program. Rob Brickenridge with you here this Friday afternoon as we head into the final weekend before Monday's election. It should be a really interesting day on Monday. We will be kicking off our live coverage 8 o'clock Monday night decision, Alberta, right across Uh, all of these uh, global platforms uh, on radio and on television. So we'll talk more about the election uh, coming up this afternoon. Uh, We'll get some uh, UCP and NDP perspective. Uh, Leah Ward, uh, former director of communications for Rachel Notley of the NDP caucus. Uh, She'll join us coming up after 1.30. Peter Silag, who's a a former UCP advisor, is going to join us coming up after 2 o'clock. Both of them are with Wellington Advocacy. But um, we'll get some perspective on on the campaign thus far. Look, it's been, uh, you know, uh, hotly contested election at times an emotional election a lot of negative ads running from both sides a lot of attacks on the opposing leaders but i mean there there has amid all of that been some important policy conversation but has it been too much of the negativity are we too polarized as a province as an electorate and if so what are the consequences of that you know elections can get emotional that's not new but has this one been different And, uh, you know, should we be worried about, you know, the state of our politics? There's some concern being raised by a number of business groups in Alberta uh, that maybe things have got a little too heated. And what we need here going into this election, especially coming out of it, is some cooling off on that. So what are the consequences and how realistic is it to just think that, you know, everybody is going to get along? In our political system. But joining us for some thoughts on all of this, very pleased to welcome to the program here this afternoon, Adam Legg, president of the Business Council of Alberta, businesscouncilab.com. Adam, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Rob, for having me on. So what have you seen and, and heard then through this campaign that, that's got you, and I, I know you're not alone in expressing this, but but that's got you concerned?
3: Well, Rob, I'd actually like to bring our listeners back to about twenty. 20- 2021, 2022, when we were doing our work in Define the Decade, which is a 10-year vision and strategy for Alberta. And we pulled uh, Alberta. We had conversations with over 2,000 Albertans across this province from every corner, every demographic. And what we heard was they're all tired. They're tired of the fighting. They're tired of the divisiveness. And that's across many aspects. They're tired of uh, governments fighting with each other. They're tired of the the tension that we have, whether that's urban and rural Alberta, North and South Alberta, Calgary versus Edmonton. Um, we just seem to be a place that loves its sort of rivalries and polarization. Um, and, but they, they told us they're tired of it. Uh, and you, you, you carry that forward. And we haven't really seen much in the way of vision in this campaign. We haven't seen a lot of uh, deep policy. Um, And in your introductory remarks, it has has really been about the two leaders. And so um, we worry that that Albertans are are not really getting a sense of what's the, the visionary picture of what each party would bring to their leadership if they were to form government.
1: Right. You mentioned the Define the Decades uh, initiative. We talked about that even just going into this campaign. You know, the uh, Business Council of Alberta had released kind of a a roadmap uh, of sorts, you know, some big vision issues that that you'd hoped would be discussed during this campaign. Uh, But has there been enough of of that sort of conversation?
3: There have been bits and pieces, whether it's in daily announcements or the platforms, et cetera, but uh, we haven't seen an overarching vision. I mean, we're firm believers that. Uh, Alberta is at a point in time where we have so much of what the world needs and wants, whether that's our our energy and, and our technology to reduce emissions, whether that's our food, uh, our fiber products, whether it's uh, the ingenuity, the innovation, whether it's the medical and wellness advancements, I we haven't really seen much talked about in the way of what is this province's opportunity and potential look like over the next decade. Um, and uh, we hope that whoever does form government will then get around to mapping out a vision uh, once they take office.
1: What do you see then as, as the connection between increased polarization and the economy? Where, where or why might we see some, some negative economic consequences from, from going further down that path?
3: Well, ultimately it does a couple of things. One, polarization uh, distracts from strategic and meaningful and long-term visions and investments and policies and really focuses on what are we going to fight about today. Uh, And so it really gets in the way of establishing Alberta's potential as a global centre for energy or for food or for wellness advancements. Um, We don't take the time to build the ecosystem, the infrastructure, the investment climate for those kinds of things to happen here and we are stuck debating uh whether um this thing is, is good or bad or whether you know calgary versus edmonton is going to get this or that um so that does it, one one piece of it and then b it just continues to send a message to the outside world that uh we i mean it, it's crept into north american politics let's be honest is we're not unique uh, in north america in terms of some of this polarization But when we've got uh, investment dollars looking to come to jurisdictions and we haven't got that strategic uh, platform down and we're we're divisive, um, it uh, it creates challenges for an investment climate. And and B, um, it doesn't enable us to work well with other levels of government. And and frankly, um, there's a level of tension and anxiety and angst amongst the population that just doesn't bode as well for quality of life uh, as it could if we were a little more, uh, or a little less divisive, and a little more united.
1: Yeah. Well, and yeah, I mean, look, certainly, I think Alberta's, you know, future depends on, you know, being attractive jurisdiction, not just for investment, but for for people, for workers, right? And we we want to be able to attract both. So, how do we ensure then that that becomes the focus moving forward? Whoever wins this election.
4: Uh, that's the
3: million dollar question, Rob. I I, I think so many people and pundits have tried to figure out how do we get past the polarization issue and I think really it does boil down to um, differing sides sitting down together uh, identifying on those things they agree on uh, and trying to figure out other ways we can accommodate each other on the areas that we don't. Um, We aren't good at sitting down having conversation anymore. We love social media and flinging mud across different platforms and it just doesn't work so we need to have government, whoever does form that, reach out to uh, either the other side of the aisle or uh, to Albertans that may not have been the voters that they uh, they had, and said we view our mandate as being supportive of all Albertans. Um, how do we craft mm-hmm. that future together? Uh, it's no easy task. Sounds perhaps easier than it would be in practice, but. I think it's essential for the future,
1: right? Because I mean, all these—well, I mean, challenges and opportunities, but but all of of both that have been identified before, that the Business Council of Alberta have identified. I mean, those are still there, both the challenges and the opportunities. So we're we're going to have to to address this at some point.
3: We do. Uh, the question is, do we want to do we want to address them in the best, the most strategic, and the most um, opportunistic way we can? Uh, by 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 being focused on those long-term pieces or are we going to deal with them on the side of our desk as we're continuing to deal with sort of day-to-day either issues or things that are only going to happen within an electoral cycle? Uh, much of Alberta's future is going to depend upon us thinking beyond uh, a four-year election mandate. We need to think about a decade uh, and setting this province up for not only this next four-year mandate, but the one after that and the one after that. Um, and it, uh, it's incumbent upon on all of us to, to, to ask our elected officials uh, to think about the future uh, of Alberta in that way.
1: Right. And that speaks to, I think, you know, the next question, what do the priorities need to be? For whoever forms this government, and, and part of that is that shift in tone. Part of that is the willingness to, you know, seize some some big ideas and to articulate a vision. But on the policy side, what what are you hoping to see as as the priorities, at least you know, the immediate aftermath of, of Monday?
3: Uh, very similar to the first one, we would say is is very similar. Way I said off the top is 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 really crafting strategies and long term thinking and opportunities for Alberta's. Uh, areas where we know we can compete globally and win around the areas of energy and food and, and, and wellness, uh, innovation, building the innovation platform. We need to really ramp up our, our education system from a standpoint of getting more uh, young people into the skilled trades. We need to expand our post-secondary capacity. Uh, we need to make sure that uh, our infrastructure is ready for the 21st century making sure that we can get um uh, broadband and and high-speed cell access across this province particularly in rural remote and indigenous communities we need to lean into um, reconciliation indigenous reconciliation to uh, create partnerships to create equity opportunities uh, for for communities Um, we need to ensure the health of albertans and figure out a a fix to our, our healthcare situation. Um, and then finally, we have uh, very f- um, erratic uh, fiscal uh, realities because of the resource revenues that we have as a province we need to fix to create a greater stability in our uh, long-term fiscal and revenue models. So no small task, uh, but it's really leaning into those things where we can compete and win globally, economically, and the right supports to enable that to happen, which is innovation technology, uh, education, great place to live, the ability to attract and retain people and have a high quality of life.
1: We'll see what happens uh, Monday and beyond. Much more is mentioned, businesscouncilab.com. Adam, thanks so much for joining us here this afternoon. Really do appreciate it.
3: Thanks for asking me to join you, Rob.
1: All the best. There you go. That's Adam Lake, president of the Business Council of Alberta. Some of their concerns on, you know, maybe the, the tone of the political discourse through this campaign and what the next government's going to need to focus on. Is it possible uh, that whoever wins the uh, election on Monday will be able to bring people together? Welcome back. Rob Breckenridge with you here. Afternoons on QR calendar. We'll have some more time for your phone calls here. 403-974-8255. Still to come, we're going to hear from uh, Leah Ward with uh, Wellington Advocacy, formerly with the uh, NDP. Uh, Still to come as well, Peter Selig, her colleague at Wellington Advocacy, previously with the UCP. I want to get some perspectives kind of from the right and the left or from the NDP or the UCP perspective on how this campaign has gone, the the approach, the strategy, the message uh, we've got from both parties, which certainly, as we've talked about here today, has included a healthy dose of attacking each other. And uh, your thoughts on, on all of that. If you've heard what you feel you needed to hear from from these two parties, whether it's been too much in terms of the negativity, and maybe what might tip your vote as we head into Monday. Will endorsements matter? Interesting today to see uh, former Calgary Mayor Nahed Nenshi out on the campaign trail with Rachel Notley. He is endorsing Notley in the NDP. And uh, they've got some stops in Calgary planned today. I mean, you know, Ned Neshi has certainly been a politician who leans to the left. I don't know if it's a huge surprise that he's backing the NDP. But, you know, he's someone with some stature and some clout in Calgary. And, you know, every vote in this city will matter. At the same time, today, I mean, uh, former Prime Minister Stephen Harper has thrown his support behind Daniel Smith in the UCP. Of course, current Conservative leader, Uh, Pierre Polyev did this week as well. So when it comes to conservative voters who maybe are still on the fence, maybe those endorsements could go a long way. Uh, Daniel Smith was asked about the question of endorsements today.
5: Well, I'm hoping that uh, voters are persuaded by the endorsements i've gotten from stephen harper and pierre polyev and this is uh, to me that's that people are are looking for a conservative government based on the the things that 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 they care about and i think that what people care about are the things that we're offering we're offering an approach that's going to continue to focus on jobs economy affordability um, public safety and we've made progress on uh, on the issue of of uh, improving health care I think that in our, our campaign, we've been talking about the things that Albertans are talking about around their dinner tables. And, and that's, I guess, we'll see on Monday what kind of impact that has. But I'm, I've been delighted with the endorsements I've received.
1: So, yes, Danielle Smith, happy to accept the uh, endorsement from the leader of the federal conservatives. Seems pretty clear that Rachel Notley uh, is not interested in any kind of endorsement from uh, her federal counterparts. On with Shea Gannon today, Rachel Notley was asked about you know, the connection to the federal party, Jagmeet Singh, and attempts by the UCP to link her to Jagmeet Singh, and I guess by extension to Justin Trudeau. Uh, So with respect to
6: the the sort of UCP talking points around uh, Ottawa and Jagmeet Singh and all those things, when I was premier, uh, I stood up uh, uh, against uh, BC, which at the time was led by an NDP government, uh, in order to... advocate on behalf of Albertans and getting the TMX uh, pipeline built. I did the same thing with Ottawa. And the result is is that we have the first pipeline to Tidewater just months away from being uh, turned on. And that happened under our leadership because my allegiances were always to Albertans. So that's my record and and what you're talking about are you know effectively communicated talking Mm -hmm, points mm -hmm. by all means but not demonstrated at all um by my record
1: one other clip here from from daniel smith i wanted to play and i think it's it's actually important to hear this and and there have been some that have raised the question about you know trust in the system or even uh, one candidate who had raised uh, some concern about some of the equipment being used by elections alberta uh, Daniel Smith asked today about the importance of trust in the system, trust in the results.
5: I want people to have confidence in the advanced polling um, uh, option because I voted in the advanced poll and um, we're seeing that a large number of our our supporters are voting in the advanced polls and we want people to keep on voting in, in the advanced polls. Well, one thing I would say to give comfort to people is that when you go into the advanced poll, and you give your address they print off a ballot for you so you have a paper ballot you mark the paper ballot you put it in a scantron machine and there and it's tabulated that way but we, we we retain the paper ballot so that if there are close races and there needs to be a recount you have the ability to go back and look at a paper ballot i i have confidence that uh that the uh, the, the result is is going to be the actual one and it's up to us to make sure that we get every single conservative vote out to the polls whether it's in advance polls or on election day and that's what we're focused on over the next few days
1: okay and and yeah there there will certainly be some close races especially here in calgary uh pollster keto maggie with main street uh tweeted quote less than a thousand votes could make the difference between a 45 42 ndp win and a 45 42 ucp win uh so their numbers have this race pretty close and uh, he suggests that with the NDP advantage in Calgary, the NDP could squeak out a majority, even if they don't get the most votes, which would be interesting. Uh, meanwhile, though, pollster Janet Brown, with some numbers today suggesting yeah, that the UCP is headed toward a victory on Monday. Uh, her numbers have it uh, 52 to 44 for the UCP. So a couple of different polls out of the last 24 hours suggesting a couple of different results. On Monday, but joining us for some further thoughts on the campaign thus far, uh, the approach that the NDP have have taken in this campaign. Very pleased to welcome in the program here this afternoon, Leah Ward, uh, Vice President at Wellington Advocacy, former Director of Communications to Rachel Notley and the NDP Caucus. Leah, thanks for making some time for us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. What's your sense then of of how close this is heading into Monday, and what uh, the the NDP needs to do just uh, in the home stretch here?
6: This has been the most nail-biting campaign I think uh, Alberta has, you know, could ever imagine possible. So uh, mm-hmm. if anyone has has nail beds left at the end of this, then I salute them. <laughs> yeah, <they can. laughs>
5: yeah, yeah,
6: and you know, in terms of what the NDP will be working on, uh, most certainly, they, you know, they've spent the last you know three and a half weeks um, knocking doors and talking to voters and. Um, and identifying support and uh, persuading new support. So, you know, that that's been the focus up until now. Now and you know, since really the advanced poll opened, the focus is really turned to getting making sure that those supporters make it to the polls and that uh, and that they get every single last vote and that and you know, as we see advanced polls sort of rolling out, moving us closer to the final election day, they'll be looking to um, continue delivering messages that messages that hopefully persuade those last sort of holdout uh, voters, people who you know would claim still to be undecided.
1: Yeah, there there still seem to be a lot of those out there, and I do wonder, you know, what what's going to get through to them. It's interesting to see. I mean, today you've got the uh, endorsement from former Calgary Mayor Nahed Nenshi. We've had some former progressive conservative stalwarts uh, throw their support to Rachel Notley. I guess as maybe the two parties are. Competing for some of those votes in the middle, how how important is that perception that you know the NDP is more of a center left party, almost in the PC tradition?
6: Well, it's more than a perception. I think it's it's true that the NDP is uh, is center left when you look at um, you know the ideas that they're putting forward and and the platform that they're running on. Um, and I think having former conservatives, you know, high profile conservatives come out and back the NDP might be helpful to folks who who, who've never who've never voted NDP in their life who really probably never imagined even considering voting NDP in their life Um, and just me you know they might need to see someone for example someone that they may have voted for in the past sort of open the door to the idea of the NDP I think that's pretty powerful
1: in terms of the, the campaign they've run so far and trying to find that balance between putting forth policy, having a positive message and a vision for Alberta, but also focusing on her opponent. And in particular, Danielle Smith and someone who, you know, is, is certainly vulnerable when it comes to two issues around trust. Do you think they've struck the right balance here? What have you made of their, their campaign? Yeah, I really
6: think they have. I mean, every campaign um, is going to include both um you you know when you're asking people for your vote you obviously need to tell them why and why why you're the preferred candidate and why your ideas are better but it's also incumbent upon you to point out why not your opponent um and in in the case of this election most of the you know so-called quote-unquote negative advertising on the part of the NBC has been packaging up uh, clips of things danielle smith has said herself there's not a lot of a torch going on there's not a lot of gimmicks happening it's mostly just showing voters um who danielle smith is so that they can decide for themselves so yeah i think the balance has been um really craftily executed on the part of the NDP.
1: so it does appear as though it's going to come down to calgary and not surprising i think we're going to see both leaders really campaigning hard in calgary is is that the path to victory here that that there's got to be that that big breakthrough for the ndp in calgary
6: yep calgary is definitely uh definitely the battleground um there's certainly some key ridings that will be front and center on uh on election night a lot of people will be watching places like calgary glenmore and calgary acadia um but the path to victory for the ndp also includes some of the surrounding communities around edmonton so places like sherwood park um and fort saskatchewan um there's also um there's also Lethbridge, so bringing, we all have, Bandy P has already held Lethbridge West for two terms now and expect to keep it, but um, there's good reason to believe that they'll pick up Lethbridge East, which would also, you know, be, be an important part of their path to victory, and then, of course, um, there's places like Vance, Kananaskis, where we've had uh, a, strong, a strong candidate campaigning for a couple of years now, and Perch um, and for Chances are also the looking really good.
1: I mean, I think Rachel Notley remains, um, you know, a real asset for the NDP. And look, we don't know how things are going to go on Monday. I mean, if she's the premier, then she's the premier. But if she's not, is is it time for the party to, to think about maybe going in a different direction? Is, is it premature to have those conversations? What, what do you think about that side of things? Yeah,
6: I think it is premature. You know, Rachel has made it very clear um, you know, throughout her term in opposition and most certainly throughout this campaign that she is running to be the premier. That is her number one focus. Um, uh, she's laser set on it. Um, and, uh, you know, when, when, you're, when you're in a race this tight, you have to go all in. And I believe her when she says it, she's all in.
1: Well, it should be interesting uh, on Monday. Leah, I appreciate your perspective on all of this. Thanks for making some time for us here. Thanks so much. All the best. Cheers. That's Leah Ward, uh, former director of communications for Rachel Notley in the NDP caucus, vice president of Wellington Advocacy. Coming up after two o'clock, we'll hear from her uh, colleague at Wellington. uh, Peter Silag, is a former director or rather a former uh, advisor to the UCP. Well, good afternoon. Welcome to this hour of the program. Rob Breckenridge with you here on this Friday afternoon as we head into the weekend, the final weekend before Monday's vote. It is Election Day in Alberta on Monday. And of course, we will be live with full coverage starting at 8 o'clock Monday night. Decision Alberta on global television and also right here on this radio station. So it's going to be full team coverage. I'll be a part of it. Very much looking forward to it coming up on Monday evening. Now, going into Monday, it certainly seems like things are are still up for grabs. A couple of polls out of the last 24 hours, uh, suggesting a couple of different outcomes here. One suggesting that the UCP might be in comfortable majority territory. Other suggesting that the NDP could still win this, albeit uh, a victory in seats while still losing the popular vote, which would be interesting to say the least. But, I mean, it's been a competitive campaign. And, I I mean, you would expect that in a two-party system. Uh, going into to Monday, of course, um, Calgary is really a key battleground, and we're going to see a lot of focus in Calgary in the final few days here. In fact, NDP leader Rachel Notley is going to be making some campaign stops this afternoon with former Calgary Mayor Nahed Nenshi, who's thrown his support, his endorsement to Rachel Notley and the NDP. Uh, earlier was uh, former conservative leader, former prime minister Stephen Harper, throwing his support behind Danielle Smith and the UCP. So turning us up for some thoughts up the top in this hour on how this campaign has unfolded so far, Uh, looking ahead to uh, Monday and beyond. Very pleased to welcome to the program here this afternoon, uh, Peter Schellag, who's uh, director of public affairs at Wellington Advocacy, former advisor to the UCP. Peter, thanks so much for making some time for us here this afternoon. Welcome to the program.
0: Thank you so much for having me on. It's good to be here.
1: I mean, any sense, and you're part of where we're at heading into Monday. And you know, some of the polls have been a little bit to, uh, all over the map. Generally, there seems to be a, a slight UCP edge. But what, what's your sense?
0: So, my my, my general sense, um, you know, after after the last month or so, uh, Premier Smith and the UCP have run what I think is a focused and disciplined campaign. Uh, they've they've stayed focused on the issues that matter to Albertans: affordability, public safety, and economic growth. And I I think that's a big part of why they're why they're leading in polls again. Uh, even in particular the the Janet Brown numbers that were released this morning. I think think broadly speaking, uh, the UCP's value proposition to voters in this campaign is uh, is quite quite similar to 2019, and I think you'll end up seeing a similar uh, similar result on Monday.
1: I'd be curious, I mean, you know, there's some interesting parallels to 2019. I mean, the big difference Mm -hmm. was, of course, you know, the uh, UCP were the challenger, the NDP were the incumbent, and there was a different leader at the helm of the UCP, but you you see some, some parallels still between the two campaigns.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, I do. Uh in part, in particular, um n- neither leader is actually new knew at running a provincial knew at running a provincial campaign this time around. Uh and in many in many respects, uh this campaign's been about a contrasting records, four years of the UCP or four years of the of the NDP. Uh you know, the the, the contrasts are actually quite jarring if we uh if if we look at the NDP record, thinking thinking back to four to four years ago, right? Um, the weakest investment growth in Canada relative to other provinces, flatlined employment growth, rising ban- r- rising bankruptcies. Uh, you know, these these are the sorts of things that people don't uh, that I don't think they, re- they forget after four years.
1: Well, you mentioned Daniel Smith. And I mean, you know, certainly the UCP leadership race last year, a lot of the conversation was about who would the NDP prefer to have? Who would the NDP prefer to run against? And, you know, some of Danielle's opponents made the argument that, you know, we should be leery about going into an election campaign with Danielle Smith. But I think we've seen a different Danielle in, in this campaign versus what we saw last year, or even what we saw previously? Has she been, a, a, you know, an asset to the party if they win? Is it because of Daniel Smith, in spite of Daniel Smith? What about the, the Danielle factor?
0: I, I, th- I think she's been, a, she's been an asset on, on the whole. Uh, we saw this particularly on, on debate night. Uh, she stayed focused on the issues that matter to Albertans. Affordability, ec- economic growth, uh, didn't, didn't, re- didn't really take the bait on any of the negative attacks uh, that were coming and I think and I think the party, uh, under her leadership as well, has put forward some pretty thoughtful proposals for this campaign as well. Uh there's there's the broad based tax cuts, there's addressing crime and addictions challenges in, and addictions challenges in cities. Uh but there's also a couple of other things that I don't that I don't think got as much pickup. up. Uh, you know, they they released what I think is probably the most um the most thoughtful skilled labor attraction and retention plan that really any provincial party's put forward. Uh they also had a thoughtful uh maternal health announcement a couple of weeks ago. I, I think those are the things that uh, might make a difference, particularly with undecided voters.
1: Right. Some of the issues that had come up before the election, like the uh, provincial pension plan or provincial police force, even the Sovereignty Act, those haven't really been factors in this campaign. So has it been less, I mean, is, is there less urgency behind those kinds of issues? This is more about bread and butter kind of economic issues. Like, what, What's been, this campaign been about in your view?
0: I think it's really been about uh, affordability and bread and butter issues, as you've said. Uh, Inflation, of course, is a a massive concern concern across the board. Uh, There's all sorts of factors contributing to that. And in in large measure, uh, a lot of the campaign has been about who has the best plan to actually help Albertans through that, uh, get the economy back, really keep the economy strong uh, in a manner that addresses inflation.
1: You know, we've seen that the United Conservative Party has at times been anything but united, um, because, of course, you know, Jason Kenney is, is not around to contest this election, despite the majority he secured in 2019 what if daniel smith wins this election what are her prospects for surviving four years what's the the state of, of unity within the party right now as as you see
0: it you know looking at this past campaign uh, i think caucus and candidates uh, really have really have united and it's been been a focused team effort uh, throughout this ca- throughout this campaign uh, you know no 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 doubt about it not to uh, not not to not to avoid the point of your question like there's been obviously a recent leadership race and, and so forth um, but that, that, hasn't, that hasn't really permeated through the actual election campaign. It's been quite focused.
1: Yeah, and, and, you know, there are issues where I think the NDP have tried to hammer, not just on, on Danielle herself, but sensing maybe a vulnerability on health care, for example. How do you feel that the UCP has, you know, tried to, to guard against those kinds of attacks or, or to address issues where maybe the sense is that they're vulnerable?
0: You know, it, it's interesting that you bring that up. I remember last time around in, in 2019, um, you know, the, the UCP proactively ran uh, ran advertisements specifically on the healthcare issue, given given what given what the NDP record on that was. I think it was that basically every one of the High indicators, as far as surgical wait times, had had gone up considerably, uh, cons- considerably under their watch. So it's not it's not really it's not really one party's issue in, the, in that respect. Um, UCP certainly have have a case for health for health reform uh, and why they've been you know, it's been part of the government's focus during term one as well.
1: On the other side, then, do you think the NDP has done anything wrong in this campaign? If if this is about issues that are to the UCP's advantage, or if you think a lot of this is still, you know, the view of of the NDP term, would it really have mattered? You know, a different NDP strategy, or do you think they've made some some smart moves or some mistakes?
0: You know, I, candidly, I've been kind of surprised by the NDP uh, campaign this time around. In Thinking back four years ago in 2019, they ran they ran what I thought was probably, probably the most negative campaign. It was just sort of an escalating series of personal attacks on Jason Kenney that, that ultimately didn't really resonate with Albertans uh, when it came time to count votes. And for, for some reason, that seems to actually be sort of the, the core of their campaign. Again, it's basically a, a referendum on the UCP and the UCP leader without, without really drilling into their own policies or their own proposal or their own visions for Alberta.
1: Well, we'll see what happens uh, Monday and in the few days uh, leading up to it. Uh, Peter, appreciate your perspective on all this. Thanks for making some time for us here. Thanks so much for having me on. All right, there you go. That's uh, Peter Schillag, Director of Public Public Affairs at Wellington Advocacy, a former advisor to the UCP. So he thinks the party's in pretty good shape heading into Monday, likes the campaign they've run. And we heard earlier from uh, Peter's colleague, uh, Leah Ward, former Director of Communications for Rachel Notley and the NDP, who sees it pretty differently. I think the NDP have been smart and focused and uh, that they've got a real chance to pull this off on Monday. We'll find out for sure on Monday. The polls close, of course, uh, 8 o'clock and uh, we'll be live at 8 with our election coverage. Welcome back. Well, yeah, Peter did mention uh, Janet Brown's poll numbers today, which suggests that... You know, the UCP might be down a few seats from the last election, but the outcome could look somewhat similar, which would be interesting. Uh, meanwhile, Main Street polling out with some new numbers. Uh, and what's interesting here is uh, Keto Maggie uh, with uh, Main Street. Uh, believes the uh, NDP are, are poised to win, it says if the UCP wins on Monday, I might have to eat two hats. Well, what's fascinating is his overall numbers have the UCP at 48.6 percent and the NDP at 45.3. So he's forecasting an NDP win based on the NDP also losing the popular vote. Which, I mean, could happen, you know, especially if a lot of the UCP support is concentrated in rural areas. He says less than 1,000 votes could make the difference between a 45-42 NDP win and a 45-42 UCP win. Again, there are 87 seats in the legislature, 44 needed for a majority. So 45 to 42 is pretty razor thin. One MLA becomes the speaker, then you've got basically the bare 44 minimum uh, majority in the legislature. But, yeah, I mean, we saw one riding in Calgary in the last election, which was actually tied on election night. It was a six-vote NDP win following the recount. So it's easy to see how, you know, spreading around 1,000 or fewer votes could tip things one way or another, depending on how many close ridings they are. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to fall to Calgary to, to decide this. Although I think one interesting riding to watch will be uh, Casey Maddu's riding at Edmonton. Right. If the UCP are still able to, to hold that Edmonton seat or do relatively well in Edmonton, that might also be an indicator that, yeah, things really are going in their direction. So uh, it should be an interesting day on Monday. So your thoughts on all of that? Like I said, we'll, we'll open things up. Uh, here for the remainder of the hour, a few other things we can touch on as well. Now let's get back to the phones. We've got uh, Dave on the line next to you. Dave, welcome to the program. Hi. Hey, Dave.
7: Hey, you uh... My thoughts on this election is is that it's more about um, Alberta and Ottawa than it is about anything else, and
1: really? I think
7: we've got to yeah. really look at that closely, that relationship.
1: Well, it hasn't come up much, which effect. I think is interesting, but wh- why do you think it's a big issue?
7: Well, Trudeau is not our friend, and uh, he's not... If the NDP get in, I mean, that's that's like voting red almost, I mean... He'll, he'll have influence here through Jagmeet, and Jagmeet wants power, and he'll do whatever he has to do or can do to get that power or be influence, influential, so I'm afraid of him. Hmm. He said yesterday in an interview that one of the tools that he uses to hold the uh, government to account is question period, and I thought about that, and it's like question period where you don't get answers? That's one of his tools. And I think that just shows
1: how out of touch he really is. Okay. I appreciate the phone call. Let's see what uh, Alan has to say here. Alan, welcome to the program.
8: Yeah, thanks. Um, last year, Daniel Smith said that until you reach stage four with cancer, it's in your area of responsibility. 23 years ago, my only child died from cancer at 16. How was he responsible for that? This is the kind of motivation that uh, drives people like me uh you know, right around the bend and into helping the NDP. And as a sidebar, uh, a couple of days ago in Lethbridge East, uh, Conservatives and NDP were tied virtually 50-50 in the area of recount. And if Nathan Newdorf, a deputy premier, is around 50%, uh, it doesn't bode well for the UCP. Okay, thanks for taking my call.
1: Alan, well, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. Um, yeah, that's... Well, we don't need to get bogged down on that comment. It was pretty um ill thought out comment from from Danielle Smith. And and yes, it's one of the things that the NDP have focused on. I think we just heard it in an ad just recently, in fact. Anyway, let's see what uh, Don has to say here. Don, go ahead.
9: Hi Rob. So uh, one of your other callers motivated me to call in, but uh, electricity went from 45 five four to $0.05 a kilowatt hour up to 31 I think, on one of my last bills. I know we should have locked in and all the rest of it, but the problem is the, due, the debt's going to come due sooner or later. But when we had just, up in, by Edmonton, we had just refurbished uh, two coal-fired plants that uh, we spent $2 billion on. We had the technology right in Fort Saskatchewan to scrub the emissions to make them, reduce the emissions to less than natural gas. We spent another two billion on natural gas plants. We spent another two billion on or more on lines that went from nowhere to nowhere where the transmission wasn't needed. But the total cost came to about seven point two, seven point four billion dollars. Um it's just it, and then they say we have to I was listening to the publicly funded radio and they said um, we have to have an investigation why the electricity is so high. Well, the reason is the electricity is so high because you made really poor decisions. And the other thing i seen was schools. Like, they they took down a perfectly good school that just had $3.5 million in renovations that was indestructible, and they spent $40 million building a new school. It just It's just beyond my belief. And then, if you look at the other thing, is NDP run us, well, Dependers, on who numbers you're looking at, 89 to $99 billion in debt in four years when they came in, I I think uh, we were two or three billion dollars in debt. Like if people want to vote NDP, that, that's fine. Yeah, those
1: uh, numbers seem way free. way off. Just to be clear, yes, the NDP those did are, run deficits are. during their time in office. They certainly added to well, the debt. Did, but, but, but I'll, I'll double check those numbers. That seems uh, way those are off.
9: Real numbers. They're off of CBC.
10: <laughs> anyway.
1: Okay, <laughs> yeah, Don. I appreciate the call. Uh, look, both of these parties uh, have, have added significantly to Alberta's debt. Uh, in fairness, the UCP more um, recently did pay down some of that debt. Um, but anyway, I'll see if I can find those numbers. I remember seeing them recently. They, they certainly did not look like that. Anyhow, uh, yes, uh, how much of a priority does debt reduction need to be? Keeping a balanced budget. What does the track record uh, look like for these two parties? All right. Uh, let's see what uh, Glenn has to say here. Glenn, go ahead.
11: Hey, Rob. Um, yeah. So the NDP inherited uh, thirteen billion from Redford or whatever it was. I mean, thirteen billion, and they ended with sixty-three billion. So they added fifty billion, but really nothing to show for it, but a lot of rich friends from Ontario. Eleven or twelve chiefs of staff were from Ontario. And all the contracts went to Ontario Um, But anyway What I actually called about was Taxes Um, 38% tax hike on businesses So everybody that's so anti-business Just uh, give a little bit of thought to: Do you buy anything, folks? Do you purchase anything? Are you a consumer? You may want to rethink that If you think that's a good idea I mean, and what's with the radio ads? Like, she lies through her teeth. Does the CTRC, is there nothing, like, you know, that can be done about that? Or what's the deal there? I don't know. I'll ask you. You would know more about that than I would.
1: Yeah, I don't know what you're referring to specifically. I mean, both parties are running ads. Both parties are certainly attacking the other. And I don't know that you expect a lot of nuance in attack ads. So maybe some context is left out, but I don't know. Out and out lies, I'm not so sure. Let's see what uh, Brian has to say here. Brian, go ahead.
6: Uh, Good
8: day, Rob. Nobody seems to want to talk about 2018 where all the driver's license road test examiners had their credentials cancelled by Rachel Notley and her NDP. So nobody could get a driver's license road test for months on end until the ucp was elected in 2019 and they had to fix that boondoggle and nobody ever talks about that and that goes to show you just what kind of person rachel notley and her ndp government are as far as competency comes
1: okay yeah brian interesting appreciate that uh let's see what uh, jeff has to say here jeff go ahead hey jeffy there i guess not uh this is jacqueline jacqueline go ahead okay i'm hoping that's a coincidence uh and not a problem with the phones uh let's see blaine blaine are you there yes okay good all right blaine how you doing welcome to the program
8: good uh just a few things rob uh just the amount of, of money that, that uh, Daniels this platform says she wants to put towards cleaning up the orphan well I think it was around 20 billion dollars that's not fair and the other thing is, uh, is the surgery experiment that they tried under Kenny uh, the Parkland Institute has come out and said that that cost a lot of money and it uh, didn't save any time at all so those are big ticket items I just want the
1: Voters need to know that. All right. yeah, Blaine Bruce the phone call. I mean, with the R-Star proposal, you know, the, the well cleanup thing, I don't know if they've backed away from it. I mean, when they talked about this, I was surprised because it felt like that was a political gift to the NDP, the idea that, you know, taxpayers would be on the hook so that we could incentivize companies to do what they're legally obligated to do. Whether they're going to go ahead with that, I, I don't know at this point. Like that seems like the the wrong approach to to addressing this issue, but uh, I think it's kind of an open question still as to whether that's that's going to go ahead. There's certainly some risk involved in that. Uh, let's see what Shane has to say here. Shane, go ahead.
10: Hey, I wanted to make a point, Rob, and uh, you just aired the ad during the commercial break uh, again, where Rachel Notley accuses of Danielle Smith of three things that she's promised not to do in her platform. Okay. You know, the, the make you pay for doctor's visit and messing, you know, messing with the pension plan. All you can do is judge a politician on what they do on their platform, and this is a problem I think a lot of the voters have in Alberta right now. They're uh, they're running on assumptions that they think they know of that is just not being put forth by the Conservative Party, and I don't think that's fair. That your your station, in particular, continues to air these ads that are clear misinformation and they're clearly misrepresenting the, uh, the party. Danielle Smith may have had uh, views in the past, but she is a part of a party system now and she's representing her constituents and the people that run her party. She said this over and over and over again, and yet your, your network continues to run these Shane, ads. Look, we're
1: running ads from both parties and we consider no, sit know, here and we could nitpick the ads from both parties and the other party I'm sure could say, no, hey, you're leaving out some context. As you say, Danielle Smith said those things. You trust that she's committed to her platform, not what she said in the past. That's your assessment as a voter. I am curious, though, because I don't think the idea of an Alberta pension plan is currently in the UCP platform in in any capacity. What what are you suggesting their position actually is?
10: It's not in the platform is what I'm saying. So so they're not going to do anything? They may, but it's not. Well,
1: okay, not... so I don't know. Then that seems like it's an open question. So I don't think it's unfair to raise that. Like I say, I've said before, I think there's some, some good arguments in favor of a provincial pension plan. I mean, the NDP have staked out a position over there saying, nope, CPP all the way. In fact, they've even talked about bringing in legislation uh, to prevent any future government from leaving the CPP, which seems kind of silly and gimmicky, given that a future government could simply repeal that law. But that's where they're at. That's their position. At least I know what it is. I don't know what the UCP position is. I mean, Daniel Smith has talked before about the idea of setting up a provincial pension plan. But if what Shane is saying is true. We we should ignore what she said in the past and just focus on the now or what's in the platform. Well, okay, where does that that leave us? I, I don't know. I think they still are leaning toward a referendum at some point. But like Shane said, it's not in the platform. So I don't know, and I don't want to make assumptions. So to me, it's that, that's kind of an open question. So I don't think it's, it's crazy or unfair for the NDP to say, well, they might want to do this based on what she said in the past. But I, I don't know. I don't know as a voter what, what to make of that. I think that's, that's part of the problem here. When you create a void, your opponent's going to fill it. That's, that's nothing new in politics. But really, I mean, <laughs> look, I sit here every day and we go to a commercial break and there's a lot of ads running from both parties. And I guess I should thank them both because that's that's good for our bottom line. Uh, but every time I hear ads from either side, I kind of roll my eyes like this is really over the top stuff. I don't know how effective that is, but it is funny how, you know, the ad from one side really seems to anger the other side and vice versa. What do you expect in, a, in an ad, in a political campaign where one party's attacking the other? Well, here's what we think they're going to do. But in defense, this is what they say they're going to do. Like, really? Has that ever happened in an election anywhere, ever? Uh, cut through the spin, people. If you think what you're being told by a political party is not telling the whole story, then do some research. The idea that you need to be spoon fed by the same party that's running that ad, that's not realistic. So we've got ads from one side that are over the top, ads from the other side that are over the top. Maybe that all balances out in the end. Like, I don't know what we're expecting here. Anyway, let's see what uh, Ernest has to say. Ernest, welcome to the program.
12: Oh, yeah, thank you, Rob. Earlier, you had a guest on earlier saying, well, maybe you've never, ever voted for the NDP. People have very short memories. If you think back to 2015... I mean, it, the NDP did not get in because of anything that they were, any any uh, platform that they had or any any plans they were putting forward. It was a protest vote. First, Danielle crossed the floor, which was a huge mistake. She would have been premier then, and probably would still be premier. And then Jim Prentice had the goal to stand up and have a commercial and say you and say tell Albertans to look in the mirror. After 40 years of progressive conservative it, they were so entitled and so much corruption going on, Albertans had enough. I even voted for NDP in 2015 simply because Albertans had had enough. And it, had, it wouldn't have mattered who was in charge as long as we got those entitled, crooked PC out, and we did. And that'll be the last time that the NDP will ever form government, well, at least in our life, my lifetime. And I'm still predicting 8 to 10 seat um, majority for uh, the UCP. And someone else brought an excellent point up about how after the Fort McMurray fires, all of the work had to be done by Ontario Union, by, the, by a construction companies from Ontario. Albertans need not apply. Now, that was very strange. And people have forgotten about that, too. Anyway, you have, it's going to be a very interesting Monday next week. Uh, it, will, it, will be, it will be. We live in interesting times. You have a good one, Rob.
1: Uh, okay, Ernest, appreciate the phone call. I just had to Google that. The Fort McMurray thing? Maybe I'm missing something because I didn't remember that. Uh, the story here, it says the Alberta government will give preference to Fort McMurray businesses when it awards contracts to rebuild the fire-ravaged community. So I don't know, maybe that was uh, a reversal on their part. Um, So, yeah, I I don't remember that, but that's a story I was able to pull up here from 2016. And I think that's also going to be uh, an issue maybe going forward as we have to deal with some of the damage from the wildfires this year. Anyway, let's uh, keep it going here. This is Jeff. Jeff, go ahead.
13: Hi, sorry, Rob, but last time. uh, If people are thinking along the lines of of myself, I've never been a huge NDP fan, but at this point in time, I truly do not like or trust Daniel Smith. Uh, She, at the end of the day, is going to be the leader. I think at the end of the day, if the PC party were a little smarter, they would have had someone represent themselves like a Travis Taves. They would be in a much better position right now but I cannot support Daniel Smith regardless of my history of being a PC supporter.
1: Interesting. So where does that leave you then?
13: I, I'm going to have to go with the NDP because I'm okay with Daniel Notley, but Daniel Smith, or I'm sorry, Rachel Notley, Daniel Smith to me is, uh, she unfortunately brings so much to me of uh, our, the illustrious leader from the south or from the south of us, that is running for presidency again, and that frankly frightens me. She's a loose cannon.
1: Interesting. Jeff, appreciate the phone call. We'll go here to Clarence. Clarence, go ahead. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. I um,
7: I voted for Lougheed first in 1971. I've been voting that way ever since. And I've always looked at everybody's platforms before I vote until this year. I can't... I, disappointed in Notley, and I can't trust Smith. But personally, my opinion is that it'd be a lot easier to recover from a Notley government than from a Smith government. And that's just all I had to say. Thank you for
1: taking my call. Okay, Clarence, appreciate that. Uh, along the same lines, just had a text here as well. It says, I also don't like Daniel Smith, but unlike that previous caller, I did vote UCP. I hope the party can keep her in line. I have more faith in that party than the NDP. Anyway, let's see what uh, Bob has to say here this afternoon. Bob, go ahead. Uh, Bob, you there? I don't know. Something's weird going on. Uh, maybe a coincidence. What's that now? Three uh, empty lines there. But uh, let's see if Jim is there. Jim, go ahead.
4: I am here. I don't know what's going on with your phone. I don't know like either, but is- we got you, Jim. I am, I am here. Hey, I, uh, I want to respond to the uh, individual who called just before the break. Um, you know, if if a if a pseudo conservative is um w- would be fine much better off with a Travis Taves. But because it's Danielle Smith, he's willing to jump ship and go with the NDP. I I'm 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 wondering where they're you know, how conservative they really are. Where this is this is the NDP we're talking about. This is the left. This is a this is a leftist um ideology versus the conservatives so i I just there's such a divide between the NDP and the conservatives um the different ideologies that it's 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 inconceivable that one could possibly just well i didn't like i didn't like i'd rather have this conservative than that and because i didn't get my way there i'm jumping ship that's not conservatism
1: yeah, I, th- I think that's a fair point, uh, you, you, Jim. It's an interesting dilemma. I suspect maybe for voters who would typically lean a certain way, but but have objections, because uh, you know one option is to just get over those objections and stick with your team. The other is to you know not vote, or vote for some you know smaller protest party, or just you know park your vote with the other side for now. It's in, I think in this campaign, though, I, I do think. You know, there are some clear differences between the two parties. But in a two-party system, I think both sides are kind of drawn inevitably more toward the center. And if you just look at the two parties in this campaign, you know, the UCP have trying to say, no, we're look, we're not the far-right crazies. We've got a pretty balanced, moderate campaign. The NDP are trying to say, no, we're not the hard left NDP. You know, we're this kind of center-left, almost like the progressive conservative Rachel Notley's trying to pitch to, to conservative voters. Daniel Smith's trying to pitch to kind of blue-collar, left-wing voters. So I don't know if it's as huge of a gulf as it might seem, but yeah, I mean, I think there are cases sometimes where people do hold their noses uh, and vote for a specific reason. And just because you park your vote with a certain party in election, I don't know if it means you've, you know, squandered all of your, your principles or or anything along those lines, but you know, I mean, some people do see it in the pretty stark terms. You're either with us or you're against us kind of thing. All right, let's see who we got next here. This is Dave. Dave, go ahead.
13: Hey, thanks so much. Uh, two quick points. One is on the, uh, the factual elements of attack ads. What do you expect from an attack ad? What do you expect from a political ad were the questions you asked a few minutes ago. Um, I expect them to be at least grounded in fact and truth. Um, I have to say that I'm fairly gobsmacked by the fact that uh, the NDP and Rachel Notley continue to run ads that suggest they don't. They don't. They don't subtly do it. They they intimate clearly that Danielle Smith will charge a fee for service for health care access. Well, they That's play been, what believe, she said. It's not, hundred, it's not. Hundred, a it's not a lie twelve, to exactly. play
1: what somebody said.
13: Well, it's, but it's what they said a year and a half ago and they have since. OK, again, reputed, if you think so. there's some
1: additional context, that that's a huge jump from, you know, they just completely made something up. Like, I agree. If parties are just outright lying, then that's a problem. I think if parties are exaggerating, that's problematic or leaving stuff out of, you know, leaving out important context, that's problematic. But that's that's a whole different kind of situation. Then than lying. So let's be clear about where that line is. And sure, I mean, it'll, there's what's in the UCP platform. There's what Danielle Smith said a few years ago. UCP is going to point to their platform and say, here it is in writing. The NDP is going to say, yeah, but she said this before. You as a voter then can make a determination. Okay, I like what's in the platform. That's what I trust. Or yeah, I'm leery about what she said before. And it cuts both ways. Right, what the UCP are saying about what the NDP might do or what they did last time and the NDP saying, no, OK, hang on a second here because here's what our platform says. Here's what we're going to do. Again, it's your decision. You trust what they're saying now. You trust what they said or did back then. But it's not unfair or a lie to, to point to things from the past that the party or the leader said or did. It's how much does it matter to you? How much stock do you put in that versus what they're saying now? That's what it comes down to. Uh, Let's go to Phil. Phil, go ahead.
8: Hello. Is this Rob? Yeah. Hey, Phil. Hi, Rob. I wanted to talk to you. A few minutes ago, someone spoke to you about the R-Star program. And, of course, this is... uh public money that is being uh is being used to subsidize the oil industry for the proper abandonment of orphan wells
1: now, well, not orphan thing- wells but i mean okay because there is the orphan wells association they have the responsibility for orphan wells we're talking about wells that companies that exist have a liability for
8: well and that's well, that is an issue. I mean, if there are still legitimate companies that are existing and own those wells, they need to be uh, abandoning them at their own cost. But the orphan wells, which have no owner because the last owner is is bankrupt, uh, the point is is that there is legislation in Alberta that says that if a well is abandoned, the government can trace back to the next person that has deep pockets to abandon that well. And that is what is happening. And there are people in key people in the Alberta oil industry that have an issue with, with it backing back up to them. And, in my, and by the way, I worked for 35 years in the oil industry, and I know all about that, and the fact that that liability can be traced back to who has deep pockets. And now these companies don't like that. And Danielle Smith, before she was leader, was appointed as a lobbyist for the industry to put in place that R-Star program. And I take exception to that. I am going to be voting UCP, but only as the lesser of two evils, if I can say that. But Daniel Smith needs to retract that R-Star program because industry, yes, they take a lot of risk, but they also make good profits in good times. That's true. I I got your point,
1: Phil. I got to let you go here. Do appreciate the call. You got last word. Have a great weekend, folks. We'll talk to you Monday. Take care. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. You can also find me on Twitter, at Rob Breckenridge, and you can email me, rob at 770chqr.com. Talk to you next time.